could, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is going to be in the Old Testament. It's kind of right in the middle, right after, uh, right after Proverbs, some, some other books that you probably don't read too often and in your reading plan you probably skip over. But uh, Habakkuk is going to be about two to three books from the, Old, the New Testament back into the Old Testament. And we're, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is a minor prophet, and we say minor not because it's of less importance, but, but just because we don't have quite as much from him as we have from some of the others. Uh, but it's no different in the way that it speaks to us that thousands of years ago, as these men would get revelation from God, God would speak directly to these people that they would write things uh, that we would get today and be able to see that, man, God is so good and that how He speaks to us now, even from thousands of years ago, like the way that He communicates that to us over 2,000 years ago, begins to, to still communicate the same truth. And, uh, and as you look, if you ever have read any of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, uh, Hosea, any of those, uh, they're, they're kind of gloom and doom when you read them. Uh, they're, very, uh, they're very heavy in the wrath of God because they're speaking of God's punishment and they're, they're speaking of all these very heavy things. And so, uh, but what we know that these prophets specifically are speaking about not only is the wrath of God and the punishment of sin, but more so than not, they're speaking of the goodness of God in the midst of everything that we're going through. And this morning as we read into the text, I, I want us to kind of see the text through these uh, eyes. You know, we live in a, in a world of comfort and convenience and, uh, and, and, you know, it's not only what we want, but it's what we expect in a lot of ways, right? It's uh, my life. I expect to be comfortable. I expect things to happen right now. You know, the, the day Amazon was invented and we started using it was the greatest day that the Lord ever gave us, right? I mean, you can have things instantly. I mean, you can almost get everything you need instantly. Now we have click lists and all these things that we can do. I don't even have to walk in the grocery store. I pull up. Someone puts my groceries in my car for me. I mean, like, how much more can I know, right? It's a bunch of kids. It's like, I don't want to get them all out and track them through the store. Like, that, that's how we are. It's like, I just want to pull up, put it in my car, and we'll leave. But so we, we're bred on convenience. We're bred on comfort, you know? And, and so, unfortunately, uh, and, and so for us, you know, things shouldn't be difficult. Like, we live in a world and a lifestyle where, like, things shouldn't be difficult for me. Like, there shouldn't be opposition. Like, there shouldn't be inconvenience. Like, I want to live in the comfort. I want to live in the convenience. And unfortunately, this reality has be be become the expectations of Christians, too. That we believe that if God is good, then my life should be good. And that if, uh, if He doesn't make it good, then what's the point of worshiping God, right? Like, that's the big thing. It's like, well, if, if worshiping God doesn't make my life perfect, if worshiping God doesn't like make my life easy, really what's the point of worshiping God? But what we have, what we understand as believers and what we need to be better about communicating is that as the secular world and the sacred world approach the view of difficult circumstances, the thing that we have to understand is that we know that there's a difference between how our Christian worldview and a secular worldview see pain and difficulties and discomfort, that we see those things differently. Okay, we approach pain, difficulty, and discomforts differently. We as Christians see Christ's molding purpose to the pain. That we see when we're as a Christian, I'm walking through difficulties. I'm working, walking through hard circumstances that are either self-inflicted or world-inflicted. That Christ is molding me in the midst of that. And for an unbeliever, 
All they can see is pain for pain's sake. You know, for someone who doesn't see a, a creator, a God sovereignly governing everything in the universe, that, that all they can see it as is it's just pain. Like, I'm just hurting. If we're just molecules in motion, if we're just plasma with skin, then, then we're just hurting for no reason. Then it's just, we're just miserable for misery's sake. And, and as a believer, we want to introduce a better worldview into the, the lives of our lives and other people's lives to say that there's purpose in everything. You know, that, that there's a God that even in the midst of the free will uh, hurt that we experience, you know, God has given us all free will. And because he's given us free will, we will fall victim to people. We will fall victim to hurt. There will be murder. There will be rape. There will be discomfort. There will be all these things because God has given us free will. And, you know, and a lot of times people will speak into that and say, well, if God is so good, why doesn't he stop these things? You know, why doesn't he stop evil from happening? Why doesn't he stop a child from getting cancer? Why doesn't he stop these from happening? But what we have to understand is that God's goodness is, is, is that he's given us free will. He's given us free will to live. He's given us free will to move in this life. And, and we can't expect God to take free will from one situation and give it in others. Like if we want free will, if we want to not be robots, then we're going to live in a world that is broken by people's choices, that is broken by the brokenness of nature and the world around us. Because the, from the very beginning, God said that when sin entered to the world, it not only broke human beings, but it broke the world. It broke the nature. It broke environment. It broke everything was broken from sin. And so as Christians, as we enter into the worldview of seeing difficulties and discomforts, we know that when we as a believer are walking through those, things that God is molding us in that and so for us we have to see God as more than just an ointment for momentary pain relief you know it really should affect the way that we see God that God uh, that is not just a momentary relief but he's rather he's the cure for pain altogether you know uh, C.S. Lewis said this he said we regard God as an airman regards his parachute it's there for emergencies but he hopes he'll never have to use it and for me as a Christian, I've had to come to the point because I've experienced difficulties enough, I've experienced hurt and disappointments enough that God isn't an optional accessory, but God is a life-saving necessity. God is something that we have to have. Like as a believer, I have to have God, not, in, not because it's a crutch and it makes me feel better about myself, because I believe that there's purpose. I believe that each and every one of us are here for a reason. And, I, and I, I don't believe that we're just molecules in motion and at the end of our life it just ceases and there's nothing after that. And so because I believe that we're design, uh, purposefully created, creatively created, that there is a God who is over that. And that whether we believe God or don't believe in God, suffering and loss is a common denominator amongst people. That whether we're Christian or not Christian, suffering and loss is going to happen. It happens to, the Bible says this, it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. That, that each and every one of us are going to experience loss. And as a Christian sometimes, in, in, in difficulties and in suffering and hurt and all these things, and a lot of times we have this idea that God won't let me go through more than I can handle. How many times have you heard that said? That God won't let me go through more than I can handle. Uh, God's not going to put something on me that I can't bear. And in reality, that's not a biblical statement. God's word tells us that he will allow more than we can bear. He will allow more than we can handle. He will allow us to go through difficult circumstances. But like we'll talk about, it's not for nothing. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. This is Paul saying this. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength 
We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, that it was so heavy. The difficult circumstances they were in were so difficult that they wanted to die. They were like, I despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. So will God allow us to go through things that are more difficult than we can bear? Absolutely. But not for nothing to push us to the Lord, to push us to rely on God, to push us to depend on someone and something bigger than ourselves. And so Habakkuk will be here in Habakkuk chapter three. He uh, a minor prophet and, 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 and most of the prophets that we see in the Old Testament, they were prophets during very difficult times. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of uh, when the, the nation of Babylon would come and bring the nation of Israel captive and, and, and exile them uh, away from their land. And Habakkuk is in a very similar time. Uh, um, he is a prophet uh, under the oppression of the Babylonians. He's been a prophet through four terrible, terrible king or not a prophet through that time, but there have been four terrible kings for the nation of Israel leading up to this point. And so uh, during this time, the, the, the book of Habakkuk is only three chapters. In the first two chapters, what we see is Habakkuk crying out to God. He's crying out to God like, like why? Why? Got some of the words he uses. He says, how long shall I cry for help? He says, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? He says, there's destruction, there's violence, there's strife, there's contention. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Wicked surround the righteous. Justice goes forth perverted. So he says, the whole system is broken. God, how long is this going to go on? And then we see that as it leads him into chapter 3, we begin to see this prayer that Habakkuk begins to speak. And I think it's a beautiful example to us as we face difficulties, as we face hard circumstances and situations and suffering around us that we're either in the middle of, we've just walked out of, or we're walking into. Because like I said, a common experience of unbeliever and believer is hurt and suffering and difficulties. We can't avoid it. It's going to happen. Just like the sun is going to rise in the morning, difficulties will come. And if you've been married long enough, you've been living long enough, you've had kids long enough, you've worked long enough, you've experienced difficult situations, circumstances, or suffering that you thought like Paul thought in 1 Corinthians, I just want to die. Like, this is miserable. Like, take this away from me. And so we're going to read together Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So the first thing I want us to understand is that the struggles will come. The first thing that we recognize is that the struggles will come. It's not a matter of if the struggles will come. It's how they will come and when they will come. Because there's no avoiding it. There's no, there's no hiding from it that we live, a bro- live in a broken world that is eating away at us constantly. You know, and, and, and Habakkuk is 
facing the brokenness. He's facing the struggle here when he's recognizing he knows that impending struggle is coming. And he says, he says, though the fig, the, the fig tree should not blossom. He says that it will not blossom, that the fruit, there will be no fruit, that it will yield no food, that it will be cut off and that there will be no herd. And so if we're looking at a, at a culture that thrives on, on agriculture and, and farming and all these things, I mean, this is like complete and total economic breakdown of the world around him. That he's, he's saying that everything is going to fall apart. Everything's going to fall apart. Everything that, you know, because if, if you know, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about like harvesting and agriculture and all that, but I know that, that you have to have things grow, not only to be provided for, but also to have seeds to plant for the next one, right? And then if you have livestock, then those livestock have to give birth to other livestock to keep your livestock growing and multiplying and those type of things. So if, if there's no harvest, if the har livestock die, what, you're, what are you going to do next year? You know, so he's not only talking about a moment of struggle, he's talking about continuous struggle. Like it's not only going to be this moment, like there's going to be more moments, there's going to be more struggle, there's going to be more issues. And so, you know, this is not only uh, this is not a temporary problem, but a potential to the potential to have extended effects. But I love as as he approaches these struggles and these difficulties, he acknowledges them. He acknowledges that life is not going to be easy. And this isn't meant to be like cynical because he's not like complaining here. He's not saying this in a way because he's done that in the beginning of the chapter. And he, the point he's at now, he's not saying like, well, all of it's going to fall apart. Right? I mean, that's how we are when things are bad. Like, well, it, it all sucks, right? Like, well, like life's terrible. Like I'm going to lose everything. Like everything's falling to pieces. Like th that's where we get very extreme. But he's not saying it in like this casual, like uh, defeated way. But he is acknowledging it. He's facing that there are difficulties. And so for me, I had to start, really start step back and think to myself, like, what are the things that I worry about the most? Because there would have been people, and, and maybe even him in a lot of ways, that worried about these situations. They worried about the fact that they weren't going to have harvest, and they weren't going to have seeds to plant for next year's harvest, and they weren't going to have a livestock to, 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 to eat off of and to, you know, to have. And so... I had to think, like, what are the things that I worry about? And for you, what are the things that you worry about? You know, uh, is it your job, the finance and security that that provides? Is it your marriage? You know, is it our kids and, and their futures and the things that they're involved in? And, 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 you know, is it my health? Do I worry about my health? Uh, do I worry about my achievements, my success, what I, what I look like to the world around me? You know, what kind of things do we worry about? And, and the reality is that it's okay to worry about those things. It's okay to be concerned about those things. But how we're engaging those worries is what really defines how we deal with those things when they begin to fall apart. You know, when, whenever those things begin to, to, to fall before us, when it all falls, how do we respond to it? You know, because I believe that we go through three, potentially four different phases when we deal with things falling apart around us. You know, whether it's our job, our marriage, something with our kids, our, our job, uh, our, our, our success, our health. You know, when those things start to fall apart, uh, how do we interact with those things? And I really believe that we re react to those things in this way. The first way is disappointment. You know, and I, I believe that's a fleshly thing, a natural thing within us that, that will happen. I don't think we can avoid the feeling of disappointment. Because we love these things and we worry about these things when they don't go the way we want them to, we feel that sense of disappointment. And I believe that's okay. 
we feel disappointed. And sometimes that leads, disappointment leads to discouragement, right? That, that we're disappointed in how something happened. And so as we begin to move forward, we're a little discouraged about it. And it begins to affect us a little bit. You know, so we go from disappointment to discouragement. And our discouragement can lead us to doubt. Our discouragement can lead us to doubt. And doubt not necessarily being a bad thing, depending on how we engage it. Because remember, in the, first, in the beginning of Habakkuk, he's saying, like, why, God? Like, why? Like, how long? How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to suffer through this? Like, how long is this going to affect me and the people around me? How long? So doubt isn't a bad thing. But if we don't engage disappointment and discouragement and doubt in the right way, then that fourth thing that I believe it can lead us to, if we don't engage with it the correct way, is it can lead us to defiance. Where we look at God and we say, God, you hate me. God, you don't care about me because if you did, these things wouldn't be going on to me. And that's the place we can't allow ourselves to get. That as we interact with our disappointment, we engage in our discouragement and we look at our doubt and bring our doubts to a place where they can be dealt with and look, look through the right eyes, look through the right goggles to see them. Then we can move beyond them. Christian or non-Christian, we are not immune to these difficulties, but we engage these difficulties differently. The secular worldview says that suffering is not seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. That if I'm suffering or if I, my life is difficult or it's inconvenience for me, then it's just an interruption in my life. You know, it's just an interruption for me. And so the, the Christian worldview, as we approach this, we see that there's purpose in the pain. That God can use this. That God is using our difficulties, our disappointments, our doubts, and our discouragements to mold us into more and not demolish us into less. That there's not this big old mean God sitting in heaven making sure my life is miserable because he doesn't like me. That he's molding us into more. He's creating us into something better. He's making us new. Tim Keller said this, he says, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and that God is with you. That suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And Habakkuk knew that. That's why in Habakkuk chapter 2 he could say this, for still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, he says, wait for it. He says, if the promises of God and his provision and his intervention in your life seem slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It will not delay doesn't mean it won't come timely. It just means that it will come eventually. But having the confidence to know. And right after that, he says, uh, but, the, he says but his soul is puffed up. Talking about the unrighteous. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So Habakkuk is at this place where he understands that, that he believes that a God is for him and that even in the midst of his difficulties and his struggles, that it will carry him through because he's confident of who God is. So even if he doesn't see it right here, see what he needs, see his provision, see what's been provided for him, that he'll wait, that he knows that God's bringing it if he, even if he hasn't brought it. And so for us, when we're able to sit and wait, it shows we have confidence in what we are expecting. So when we're able to engage our disappointments, our discouragements, and our doubts, bring them before the Lord, be, begin to see them through the eyes of a sovereign God who is in control and is for you and is with you, then it allows me to face these difficulties and these circumstances and these situations and be able to move 
forward, be able to know that there's hope beyond them so that if I do lose my job, that I know that I can move beyond this, that if I do, uh, my marriage does fall apart, that I know I can move beyond this. If my kids look at me and tell me I have, want nothing to do with you, I hate you, get away from me, then I know that there's a sovereign God over me that if I will look to him, follow him, be led by him, be empowered by him, that I'll move beyond this. And so as we acknowledge that the struggles will come, the way we deal with it is to evaluate this. What we worship is our strength. What we worship is our strength. In verse 18, he says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I love that. He says, yet I will rejoice. And he says, I will take joy. This is an active choice to worship and engage and embrace joy. And embrace joy because the, the reality is your greatest joy is your foundation. Okay? The thing that you take the most joy out of in your life, it is the foundation at which your whole life is based off of. So if your greatest joy is your marriage, what do you do when your marriage falls apart? If your greatest joy is your kids, what do you do when your kids rebel? If your greatest joy is your job, what do you do when you, you lose your job? When you're, if your greatest joy is your health, if you begin find out that you're sick and you have some illness that is going to just really debilitate you, what happens then? If our joy is our foundation... Even in all we think about and the worry that we have in those things that are very important, and they, they, they are the calling that God has brought us into and put us in, that they cannot be our greatest joy. I love my kids, but they cannot be my greatest joy. I love my wife, but she cannot be my greatest joy. I, can, she, she, I can't be her greatest joy. You know, if, if I left here today and got hit by a car, and what, what, what does her life do then? Where does she go? Does everything fall apart? Does she just give up everything? Yes, it would be devastating. Yes, we love uh, the, these things that we talked about, our jobs, our kids, our marriages, our health. We love those things. And it's normal to be disappointed and discouraged and doubt when the hurts happen. But when we have a joy that is in our God that is above us and that is greater than us and that that's where our joy lies, then he is going to be the one to reach down that we do not serve a God that is uninvolved. We serve an involved God like Habakkuk has confidence in. That he says, even if all these things happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in Him. That's where our confidence has to be. Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield and my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. Every joy in life can be taken away from you except the joy we have in Christ. Every joy can be taken away from us except our joy in Christ. Habakkuk was not focused on comfort or convenience. He was focused on the will of God. Like Jesus would pray in Matthew 6, your will be, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, whatever you have, let that be. Security and hope were not based on temporal blessings, but on eternal promises. You know, he, he was fixed on the promises of an eternal God, a sovereign God. He said in verse 18, in the God of my salvation, that God has saved me already. 
That God has rescued me from death. He has rescued me from sin. That salvation, meaning deliverance, welfare, or victory. Psalm 13, 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So God's steadfast love and the salvation that he has for us are present for the believer when we put our faith in Jesus. He says, You have my love. You have salvation. That you are rescued but that doesn't save us from the suffering. It doesn't save us from the difficulties. But what it gives us is hope beyond those things. It tells us that there is something beyond those things. Luke 1.47 says, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That God has saved us. That God is saving us. Verse 19, he says, The Lord is my strength. If we live to praise our own achievements and resources, then those things become our strength. If I praise my job, my job is my strength. If I praise uh, my kids and, 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 and praise my wife and praise my health and praise uh, people, then they become my strength. And so when they fall, my strength falls. But I love that he says, the Lord has become my strength. The Bible tells us that, that you know what, that there has to be a strength bigger than our flesh. There has to be a strength greater than us. Matthew 26, 41 says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That we are weak, we are broken, we are faulty, we will fail, we will mess up, we will make mistakes, we will sin, we will disappoint, we will discourage, we will cause doubt. But our God in heaven never will. And that even when we're lowly in the midst of doing those things, we've hurt someone or we've even been, we've been the victim or we've been the victimizer. That God reaches down into those things and He wants to pull us out of it. He wants to encourage us through it. He wants to pull us to the other side of those things. He wants to be our strength. And so for us, even in our fears, our weakness, and our doubts, and our worries, this doesn't take away from the work that God has done in you and He's done for you. And He is doing in you and He wants to do for you. And this should be the thing that motivates us and drives us. In verse 19, He says this. He says, He makes my feet like the deer's to tread on my high places. And so what I just imagine with this, you know, in this, uh, in, you know, in the Middle East, you know, very mountainous and, and those type of things, I just imagine a deer on, on the mountainside or on these cliffs just walking confidently, right? Just prancing around, just confident in every step in these high places. And, and I love that he says not the high places, he says my high places. This is the place where I'm expected to be because I serve a God that sets my steps and where he sets my steps is on the high places. And so my confidence aren't isn't in my own strength to walk in the steps, but it's in my confidence to walk in the steps that he's established and the places that he's put me at, these exalted high places that are my places. So as a child of God, even as we were singing about this morning, that, that, that as a child of God that we sit and we are set for high places and these high places are my high places, your high places as a Christian that you can claim. And so that even in the suffering and the situations around us, that I can run. And you know, I, you know, deer just always seem so lively, right? They're just so, just so active and they're just so fidgety and they just flit, flit around. You know, like I, he, he gives us life, not only confidence, but he gives us that liveliness. That even in the midst of suffering, you know, as Habakkuk says this, he says, look, I know this is coming. I know this is coming. And he's, saying, he's not saying that, he will make me my feet like the deer. He will make me tread on my high places. He says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes 
me tread on my high places. This is a current state. This is a current state of life. That even in our suffering and our difficulties, that the current state of life that we can claim as a believer is the high places that God has established us on in His confidence, in His strength, and not in my own. So for us, as we wrap up this morning, guys, why does this matter? Why does this matter? You know, because the inevitability of difficulties in life, we have to see that God is sovereignly at work. And when I say God is sovereignly at work, that God sees all, that God has control of all, and that if God is for me, like Romans tells us, who can stand against me? If you can know God is for you, it doesn't matter what comes against you. If you can know that there is a sovereign God that has seen the end result, that is walking with you in, the, in, the, in what you're going through, then you can know that there's something beyond this. You can have confidence to fight it and to push through. And so Isaiah 40, verse 29 through 30 says this, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. He says just wait. That if you're going through a situation right now that doesn't make sense to you, that seems very difficult, that seems endless, that seems like too much to bear, he says, wait. He says, I will renew your strength. I will help you make it through. He says, just wait. Just wait for me. So what do we do when it all seems to fall? What do we do when it all seems to fall? These three things that I'll leave you with this morning. First thing is be prepared. Know that God is for you. Know that God is for you. Like that quote from Keller said, that suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. God is for us. And be prepared in understanding what you worship. Not allow your worship to be on temporal things. Allow your worship to be in God alone so that when everything else falls apart, every other joy is stripped away from us, we'll still have our joy of our Heavenly Father in Heaven that is taking care of us and providing for us. So not only be prepared, but understand and know that this is a moment. That whatever difficulty we're going through right now is only a moment. Even if it's several moments crammed in really close to each other, it's a moment. And that it is hard, and I know, that it's hard to see the clear skies coming when you're in the middle of the storm, right? Like, it, it's hard to even imagine, you know, when, even here recently, when it's like, it seemed like it rained for like five days in a row, right? It was like, will there ever be clear skies? Like, will it ever be dry? I need to mow my yard. It's a swamp out here. Like, will it ever be clear? And in the middle of it, you, you think, we hope we know that it will because it always is. But with the difficult situations in our lives, sometimes we, we feel like there's no way it's going to be better. Like, I can't imagine it better than the difficulties right now, than the struggle, than the issues right now. But the thing we have to remember, and, and, and I just, I, I, the Lord just encouraged me with this this morning. The thing we have to remember is that the greatest victory in history began with a tragedy. And that was when Jesus Christ was hung on a cross, died for people who hated him, who spat at him, who, who could have cared less about him because they weren't providing for them their, their prosperity. The greatest victory in history began with a tragedy of a man dying on a cross, which led to that same man rising from the dead, 
ascending to heaven and seating at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his children before a holy God. That you know what? We are screwed up, but he has high places for us. He has something better than the hurt. He has something better than the pains. So not only do we know that this is just a moment, but we know that the the third thing, that we know that this moment is not wasted. That even in our difficulties and our trials, we are learning and growing. And that God's goodness is not reflective of my status. That God isn't more good when I'm more comfortable. That, That God isn't better because I feel better. That God isn't a better creator. That God isn't a better provider because my life is convenient. You know, there's so much in history that has gone wrong. There's so much in our lives, maybe in your life, that has gone wrong. Maybe this year, maybe in the last few years, maybe it seems like it's been constant. Heard this song earlier today, a song called Firm Foundation. They say this, Help my, make my eyes so that they are locked on the God who sees the end. Make my eyes so that they are locked on the God who sees the end. That there is a God that sees an end result where I stand as a victor. And that it doesn't matter the losses I have from here or to that point. That he says, I have victory for you. That if you're a child of mine, that there is victory. And that in that confidence to know that, that, that I, I kind of felt like I almost titled this message the anti-prosperity gospel. Because life is hard. And it rains on the just and the unjust. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. We're going to experience suffering. We're going to experience difficulties. We're going to experience loss. But the beautiful thing about seeing the world through the, the, through the eyes of our Savior Jesus Christ is that even how His life, death, and resurrection are a reflection of this, that there's no tragedy. There's no tragedy that's wasted. And that it can all lead to victory if we'll allow it to. That he will do that work in us. You know, and um, man, I pray this morning that you could see. I pray this morning that you could see. You know, and and like I said, you, you may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking to yourself, like, things are pretty good for me right now. Like, I'm killing it. Like, everything's going all right. And that's great. And I pray that we celebrate in that. And I pray that maybe this is just a, something you hold on to. And, and as a difficult situation comes, you're able to be reminded and have that joy. And, and the biggest thing for us, the, the, the most important thing that we have to understand, and I hope that we know, is that what we worship is our strength. And that I pray that what we take the most joy, the greatest joy in our life, is not in temporal things that may could fall, disappoint, or lead to discouragement, but it's in the Lord Jesus who does not leave us, who will never discourage us, and will never give up on us, will never leave us or forsake us. He says that he will set us on our, on our high places. Man, that just, that just really encouraged me, my high places. So let's pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you so much that there's not any time in our life that we ever have to doubt or question who you are, God, that you've laid it out so clear in your word. And, and it doesn't matter the situation of life that we're living in right now, God, whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in the valley of, of hurt and despair. God, that you speak hope into those situations. You speak joy into those situations, God, that, Lord, and, and I, I love your patience with Habakkuk. God, that as he doubted, God, as he cried out in discouragement and disappointment, 
God, that you didn't cast him down. God, that you didn't punish him. God, that you leaned in and you gave him the confidence to say, yet I will worship you. I will take joy in you, the God of my salvation, God. And I pray that we would know that you have offered us that same eternal promise of salvation. God, that when everything else falls apart, that we can always take joy and strength from salvation, knowing that even though this life we live is a drop in the bucket of eternity, God, that you have so much more waiting for us. And God, I I thank you for the common graces you've given us in our jobs and our families and the meals that we eat and enjoy and, and and the health that we have. And Lord, believer and unbeliever, we all experience those things. But the true joy that you interject into our lives is the joy of our salvation, God. And I I pray this morning that that if we're wrestling with the idea of a saving God and the fact that, Lord, coming to a point where we even realize, do I even need to be saved? Like, what am I being saved for? God, that I pray that you continue to mold and work in the midst of those mindsets and those thoughts, God, and that we would be a place that allows people to come in with those questions and those doubts the same way that you did. God, that you welcomed the questions. You welcomed the doubts. And God, you provided the answers. And Lord, so I I just pray for us as a people here this morning. God, weak, broken people. God, we're either broken in our humility or broken in our pride. God, I pray that you just speak into our lives, speak in our situation. God, just, just show us where your goodness is. God, remind us. Maybe we've forgotten how good you are. God, let it remind us how good you are. Let us see the goodness around us. God, and if we're in a difficult situation right now, someone just really struggling, God, I, I pray. I pray that they would fix their eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, locked on the God who, who sees the end. And that end is victory. That end is our feet set on high places when we have put our faith in you and we've believed in you and professed you as Lord over all our life. God, that there's no moment that's not just a moment and there's no moment that's wasted. God, that you take our deepest hurts and our highest hurdles and you turn them into our greatest victories. So, God, I pray that you would do that with us this morning. I pray that we would see you as that. God, I pray that we would be a church that loves the people around us and that that just seeks after your goodness amongst amongst our communities and our families and our kids and our workplaces. God, that we would be Christians more than just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. God, help us to take our joy in the midst of our hurt and allow it to be this magnetic force that draws people to your goodness. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I just ask you to bless us in your holy and precious name, we pray. Amen.